You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. All right, we're in a little bit of a small series. I'm going to have some foci. Is that the plural? Focuses? Is it just focuses? Nobody knows. Okay. Cool. I have some focuses on the Holy Spirit. Uh, what? Focus? Just one, I'm told, by my wife. She knows more than I do, so I will trust her. Unless she's trying to make me look foolish right now. <laughs> We have a focus on the Holy Spirit right now, which is a good focus to have because Jesus told us not to go and do ministry without the Holy Spirit. And as I have been uh, trying to come alongside the Holy Spirit and cooperate in forms of ministry that really do absolutely nothing unless the Holy Spirit shows up, uh, I have been focusing a lot on the armor of God, which is kind of a classic Passage, you know, like this is one of those passages that we learn in, in children's church. And so it kind of goes in one year and out the other. Uh, we kind of children it down. We think of it as like a kind of like an object lesson. Yeah, just imagine there's put on this piece and this piece and this is what that represents. But this is a really powerful passage. And I've had to lean into it a lot over the last five months or so to help direct my vision, to help people out of their messes. And to, to really focus on Jesus. So, um, for example, this, this past Sunday, you might remember at the end of service, we said if anybody wanted to stick around um, to receive prayer, we'd be happy to, to pray. And several people stuck around wanting prayer. We were here until about 1030 at night. Um, we cast out, I think, three demons, maybe more, uh, and just really helped uh, some people find the healing that, that they were looking for on, on some stuff. So... God is powerful, and one of the things that I then had to coach these people who are going through healing is as you return to your everyday life, you're going to find what Jesus said. He said that when you cast demons out, they're going to try to move back in, which means now that we've delivered you, you got to be ready to fight. Don't expect that it's just going to be simple and that they're not going to push back on you. I mean, they spent some time there. They're going to want to move back in. Somehow humans are nice, comfy homes for spiritual beings. I don't know how that works. I, I, I don't understand. But Jesus himself told us they try to get back. And the armor of God is one of the ways in which I've been telling people, like, if you're going to go into spiritual warfare or just be a Christian at all or try to grow in your faith, then you've got to put on the armor of God. And you'll find that you often don't need that armor if you're not trying to grow in your faith. Because I've at least seemed to find that Satan does not really care that much about apathetic Christians. They're not a threat to his kingdom. But whenever we try to grow, have you ever noticed suddenly it's like something's pushing back on you? It's not as simple as just creating a new habit. It's like things around you seem to feel like they're falling apart or you just feel extra tired or extra difficult to get in in the flow of some things. When we're trying to grow, we are engaging in spiritual warfare. When we're doing evangelism, we're engaging in spiritual warfare. And when we are trying to pursue inner healing and keep out any forces or keep them away from us, we're engaging 
in spiritual warfare. And that's exactly why Paul told us that as Christians, we need to wear armor. Armor is a defense thing. It's not really an offense thing, right? You don't take the helmet of salvation and whack a demon across the head with it. You use it to protect your mind. And so, Paul gave us an understanding. Like, if you are going to be a Christian, you are going to engage in spiritual warfare. If you're going to engage in that, then you've got to be prepared. So put on armor. In fact, one time when I was working with someone and they were, they, after some time, had gotten to this point of, like, God saying, okay, I'm ready to do deliverance. One of the first things that God said in that moment was, put on your armor. And they heard that. They're like, okay, let's get ready. So here's the armor that Paul talks about. Finally, be strong in the Lord. This is Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil. A lot of times we're always thinking the schemes of other humans. They're the devil. No, this right here, this is, this is spiritual warfare. The schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, we don't wrestle against humans. But against the rulers. Against the authorities. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Why do we wear armor? It's to face off in spiritual warfare. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. All right. I want to hone on, hone in on just a, a few of these uh, pieces of, of armor that we're supposed to wear. First one is the belt of truth. This is crucial as a Christian, and especially crucial in spiritual warfare. You want to know why? Because Jesus said that Satan is a liar and a murderer since the beginning. And when we are liars and murderers, we belong with Satan. But Jesus came to bring life and bring life abundant. Satan is always busy lying. Does anybody know what the word Satan means? Anybody? Anybody? Quick pop quiz. Deceiver. Yeah. Uh, Also in line with like accuser or adversary. Um, These general words are like, it's almost like a court term. There is a piece of fiction I once wrote in which uh, the Satan character I made, his name was just the plaintiff. And it was the plaintiff because his job as the Satan character was just to always have evidence 
that you are a bad person and he's always trying to throw it at you. He's trying in court to make sure that, that you get in trouble, that you know all of your sins and just keep trying to hold you up to that. Whereas Jesus, on the other hand, comes along and proclaims forgiveness. If you follow me, you are forgiven. You're given eternal life, life abundant. Anyone who follows me will not be put to shame. Verses like this. The goodness of God who goes with us everywhere we go. But Satan comes and he lies and he lies and he lies. You ever read the screw tape letters? C.S. Lewis? In this book, it's more or less like an older demon teaching a younger demon. Strangely enough, I thought that was fiction, but over the last five months, I actually ran into this scenario during a deliverance where we found one that was just trying to learn from another one. It was very strange. But like that, that scenario right there, that's... Uh, Um, one teaching another one. Here's how you lie to them best. Here's how you trip them up. You find a little kernel of truth and then you start to take that and you wrap lies all around it. That, I mean, you see that right at the beginning of the Bible. Satan in the Garden of Eden. He brings him over to the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil. He sprinkles in a little bit of truth in there. Well, you know, if you eat this, you'll have the wisdom of knowledge, good and evil, like, like the gods do if you eat this. Well, that's, that's actually true, but it's not truth. It's true, but it's not truth. Because truth is a person. Truth is Jesus. And Jesus, in the form of God, has said, do not eat from this. That's truth. But at the same time, it is true that if you do eat from this, you would be like spiritual beings because they have that kind of knowledge. It takes a kernel of wisdom, sprinkles it in there, a kernel of, of, of something that's kind of true, sprinkles it in there, and then wraps lies all around it. And Adam and Eve fall for it. And that's the way in which Satan always works, always lies, kernels of truth. And it's oftentimes if, if you're... Um, like me, it's those kernels of truth that get you hooked on the lie. It's the worm on the hook. Like you grab it and you can't let go because that worm's just so tasty. I don't like where this analogy is going. <laughs> it's, it's hard to let go of the food because you think you need it to live. I need to eat this. But no, it's actually ripping a hole in my mouth. Let's forget this analogy. But you follow me, right? For me, someone who's spent a lot of their life as a shame addict, I mean, that's, that's a big part of what kept me hooked on shame, is that I need to feel bad. I need to feel bad. God wants me to feel bad. He's probably mad at me. He's probably upset with me. And I give myself over to religion instead of to Jesus. As I keep telling myself, I'm supposed to feel bad. I need to be uh, held accountable for my sins. As the accuser, as the adversary, as Satan comes and keeps whispering, yeah, kernels of truth, kernels of truth. And instead of proclaiming, I am a Christian and I'm forgiven and I've asked God to remove that from me, I proclaim, but God really doesn't like sin and he's probably really mad. And, you know, I keep dragging myself down to the point that, like, I couldn't sleep at night for uh, uh, much of my childhood. This is a really early thing that started for me, that when I was a young kid, I kept finding myself feeling shameful all the time. And the, the whispers in my head could literally be about anything. It could be something extreme. 
that I actually like needed to own up for, or it could be something very minimal. I'd hear whispers about that too. Jamin, I can't believe you picked your nose. Gross. You're probably going to hell. <laughs> uh, am I? I don't know. Yeah. I'm not. But, but like those were the kinds of whispers. If you want to go up in spiritual warfare, you need to put on the belt of truth. Because if you live in the lies, the lies will take you captive and you will not be able to get out. But if you speak truth over those lies, they start to diminish. If you speak the truth of who Jesus is and your identity in Jesus and that your father loves you and that your father has forgiven you, suddenly these things can't carry all that weight anymore because they're not truth, even if they have little nuggets of something true inside of the middle of it. The belt of truth. If you want to fight, you need to be grounded in the person of truth. Breastplate of righteousness. Likewise, if if you want to keep them out, you need to aim for righteousness or just like the root word there, righteousness. You need to live rightly and not rightly by your standards, not rightly by your morals, but rightly by God's standards, God's morals to say, God, I want to I want to keep my focus on you, live the way that you want me to live in order to to image you to the world, but also to keep out everything else that wants to break in. So you cover your heart with the breastplate of righteousness through right living. You keep up a wall and it keeps you focused on the thing that matters. You also have the shield, which can uh, extinguish all flaming darts of the evil one. When I think of this passage, I often think of um, Psalm 109. Uh, In the Dead Sea Scrolls, it is said that David wrote, I think, thousands of psalms. We have like 150 of them in our Bible. Uh, but according to some of the archaeological things we found, apparently he wrote a whole lot more. And he wrote four psalms specifically for deliverance. One of those psalms made it into the 150 that we have. It's Psalm 91. Did I said 109 earlier? 91. In Psalm 91, um, there's all these different statements about... Um, it's like a prayer that, that's meant to kind of be prayed over people as they go to bed to, to keep out anything that might want to try to attack. And, and one of those in specific uh, is always looking to shoot arrows. Um, it's always looking for these, the way that when I see Paul say fiery darts, I'm, I'm thinking in the same way Psalm 91, these arrows that are, that are coming for us. Now, if we're not paying attention, we'll get hit by one. And so Paul here recognizes that, yeah, by being a Christian, you have a target on your back. That even from a distance, things are looking to snipe you out. And you have to pay attention at all times and be ready to defend. Look, you wanted to be a superhero. This is your Captain America moment right here to keep your shield up and keep all that stuff out. You need to recognize that as Christians, attacks are coming for you. Revelation says that since... Satan already knows that he's been conquered. He's ticked off. And so he is trying to gobble us up. Because he's mad. Because he knows he's already lost. And so he might as well just take out as many Christians as he can along the way. And the way in which he especially does that in America is messing with us to the point that we get so caught up in those lies 
that we become fruitless. In other places, yeah, they actually face martyrdom. But for American Christians, a lot of times it's just the degradation of ourselves as we put down our armor until eventually there's very little Christian about us or there's very little grounded in God, grounded in truth, and we just become either apathetic or agnostic. We need to give ourselves fully to God and keep on the armor. And then uh, the one that I especially uh, have have been thinking about today is the sword of the spirit. Now, of all the armor of God, none of that is used to attack. It's all used to defend, which doesn't feel super positive. (laughs) Put on all this stuff because people are going to punch you in the face. Oh, okay, thanks, Paul. But he does mention a sword, though swords are used for defense as well, right? He says, take the sword of the spirit, which is what? Anybody? The word of God. What's the word of God? The Bible. What else? Who just gave the Jesus answer? Correct. Yeah, Jesus is the word of God. What else? I heard two things. One was over here. Worship. Yeah, I mean, that's a good word right there. Prayer. Yeah, he goes on to say offering all prayer and supplication right after that. The South. Yourself. Oh, yeah, that makes more sense. (laughs) Yourself. Um, What was it? Nature. Nature. Word of God. So God's uh, book of nature. I've heard that often said. Yeah. Um, We think of the word of God in all kinds of ways. I think the first one that I heard is usually the way we think of it. I got to take the word of God to fight. I take my Bible and I... Slap people with it. I don't know. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of different ways that we look about it. The way in which I've been sensing kind of a pull in what Paul's saying here, though all these things I think can carry some truth, um, I've been thinking kind of about the, the prophetic word. And scholars will take the sword of the Spirit in lots of different directions, but let me, let me read it again. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. When I have seen the prophetic word uh, at play in my life, I mean, that is, that is easily one of the biggest weapons that I have in fighting off Satan. When someone comes and prophesies something over me, that becomes like a visionary statement from God for me to really grab onto. Uh... Just recently, I went to Radiant. I just saw online that they're having a, a prayer service, and I dropped the kids off at school, and it was happening right then. I was like, I could use some worship right now. I'm just going to go over there. So I go over there, and uh, um, as I sit down uh, um, and just kind of begin to worship, uh, before I leave, uh, Pastor Mike invites me on the stage and says that he was kind of hoping, he thought about reaching out to me to see if I would come and pray with them. and. Sure enough, there I was unexpectedly, even for myself. And so I go up on stage to, to kind of pray with them, and um, he then begins to prophesy over me. He begins to say some things that were really poignant to my soul. That the sword of the Spirit, that the Lord was feeding me right there. And I've, I've tried to make a habit recently of when I hear these words, I'll, I'll kind of like 
take that prophetic word and then kind of put it over an image of sorts that represents it and just kind of make it the wallpaper on my phone. And the reason I do that is not to like look at myself and think, oh yeah, Jamin, you're that, good for you. No, I need those kinds of encouragements. Like those keep me going in the midst of, of struggle. You need that too. I mean, we have all been through a pandemic together. Part of the reason I'm still standing after this pandemic It's because of the ways in which the sword of the Spirit has interceded on my behalf. Has not only uh, pierced the enemy, but pierced my own heart. To remind me of who I am, to remind me of my identity, to keep me going. Oftentimes, uh, every month I go to these chapter house meetings in town at the Fasorius Chapter House, which uh, uh, David McDonald from West Winds created this. He now does it full time. He recently left West Winds to be a missionary to pastors. It's the way he describes it. And he's right. I mean, the way in which the Holy Spirit has worked through him has been very saving for me in, in ministry. And one of the things that we often practice while we're over there is, is speaking prophetic words over each other, usually during a liturgical feast. <laughs> uh, I'll usually cook dinner one night. And then we'll gather around and we'll eat and there will be a a story shared about what this feast represents in Christian tradition. And then sometimes that will end with what do you feel the spirit saying about another person at the table? And people will just go around the table saying, I feel like the spirit's putting this on my heart for you. And we'll shoot this back and forth. And it becomes really deep moments. Soul-fueling moments. Often there's a lot of tears. As the Holy Spirit reveals to someone else in the room the deepest parts of us to each other so that we can speak it out in one another. The sword of the Spirit, the word of prophecy, it keeps you going. Now, yeah, the Bible's the word of God too. But guess what Paul didn't have? I mean, not the Bible, at least in this form, because he's literally writing it (laughs) at that moment. You know, this hadn't come out yet. So when he says word of God for him, that would either be like the Old Testament or he recognized the power of the prophetic word as well, which he did. If you read his letters, the church in Corinth, he said, look, if a stranger walks into your church, let's be seeker sensitive. Go prophesy over them till they fall their knees and worship God. Yeah, that's seeker sensitive. It would make a lot of us super uncomfortable. But in Paul's mind, it's like, you want to do evangelism? You want to see someone saved? Then let the prophets among you sense out a word for the strangers in the room and go speak it over them. And by the time you've done that, that person could be like, well, this thing's real because I don't know how they knew that about me. You ever heard those kind of stories? The one I share all the time here that you've probably heard too many times is John Wimber on a plane. More dangerous than snakes on a plane, right? John Wimber on a plane. He was the guy who founded the... Uh, um, oh, no, I lost it. Help me. <laughs> the, the, the vineyard. Vineyard. I was going to say Nazarene. That wasn't right. The vineyard movement. Uh, he's on a plane. Somebody walks in and he sees a word written across their forehead in the supernatural. It just says, like, adulterer, which is not a word you want to be given for another person, especially on a plane. Ain't nobody want to call that out, right? And the guy noticed him staring at him. He said, you know, what's the deal? (laughs) And John Wimber uh, just says, 
in that moment, he had a name pop into his head. He doesn't tell us what the name was. We'll just go with Jenny. He says, uh, do you know someone named Jenny? And the guy's like, how did you know about that? He's like, oh, we should go talk. So they go to the back of this, like, one of those giant plains where it's got one of those areas that you can kind of congregate. And he begins to tell him that God revealed this to him. And uh, he thinks this guy's probably, you know, going to blow up at him. Wouldn't you? Right? He's like, look, man. God needs you to repent of this. And actually, the word was stronger than that. He, he felt God say, if you don't repent of this, I'm going to take you. Which, I mean, that's, that's intense, right? That's next level intense prophetic word to give someone. And the guy uh, just bursts into tears, repenting right in that moment. Yeah, I would expect him to punch him in the face. But instead, he's, he just starts bawling and he gives his life to Jesus right there on the plane. And it says, what do I do now? And he says, well, I guess we should tell your wife. Right here on the plane. Guess what they do? That. They tell his wife. Guess what happens? She gets saved too. Like this isn't the way you think the story's going to go down. But that's the power of the word of the Lord. That sword of the spirit. It pierces to the heart. It keeps us going. And that kind of stuff fights off the enemy too. That stronghold that he had on this couple through their sin, the sword has just shaved that off. The sword of the Spirit is a strong, tangible weapon used for defense, used for spiritual offense, just to clarify. Yes, I'm a Jesus pacifist. <laughs> and... Uh, it's also something that I think sometimes God needs to use on us. So if you are looking to grow in your faith, if you're looking to stay motivated, if you're looking for next steps, if you're looking to understand, like, where do I go from here? After everything that has fallen in my lap after the pandemic, what's next, God? The answer is found in the Holy Spirit. He wants to speak to you. He is interested in you going the right way just like you are. And if we meet with him and we listen to him and we speak the words that we hear from him into those around us, we give the space for the Holy Spirit to do some real tangible, heartwarming, motivative things that keep pushing us in the right direction. Whereas if we don't listen, we fall into our own habits, our own ways, and we use our own wisdom. And wisdom, true wisdom, is Jesus, not us. Sometimes we do have to operate out of our own wisdom because sometimes there are those moments where God is quiet and you've got to make a judgment call. That's because he wants to collaborate with us, not dominate us. But he often likes to speak into things. So whatever it is that you're looking for, uh, why don't you go ahead and just take a moment and kind of open your heart up to the sword of the spirit to do a little piercing on you to speak to you and if you get a word during this time that's for someone else why don't you give it to them they need that it's great to hear from god yourself but it is a thousand times more concrete to hear it from someone else because it validates that god is speaking to you when it comes from not 
your inside that already knows so much about you. So I'm going to play some keys just for a minute here. Take five minutes and just say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. And then discern it. If it doesn't match with Scripture, it wasn't Him. Okay? If it doesn't match with Scripture, it wasn't Him. God told us to discern things. You are under instruction from the Bible to not receive everything you hear at will, but to bring it before Jesus so that he can help you discern what it is you're hearing. So take a moment, listen to the Spirit. You can do that in some of the visionary ways we've talked about in previous uh, messages. If you weren't here for those messages and you want to try that later, go to the 1208 podcast and listen to our episode a while back. You can ask me for it. I'll send you the link uh, to kind of learn the visionary ways in which you can meet with God. But otherwise, just open your heart, listen to the thoughts. Paul says that he speaks to us. Paul uses an analogy that helps us see that God speaks to us in a similar way in which we hear our own thoughts. Five minutes, and then we'll wrap up.